0: stretch. Um, Before I begin, I want to say a genuine word of thanks for allowing me to be with you. Um, One of the main reasons I do things like this, I don't do a ton of them, I mostly preach in the churches that I serve, um, is I want to grow. And this has been so good for my heart and my soul. And to see you guys engage and to expect God to do some stuff in your life uh, has been really good for me personally. It's been a blessing for me. Um, most of you may know this. I don't know if I mentioned it. I got connected with your church back when you were in the transition from Charles through Joe Bubar to Rick. And it's just so fun to see what God has done here. Um, And to be sure, there was great fruit in every one of those seasons. That's how the gospel works. Um, But it's fun, and it's a particularly neat season that you're in the midst of. So praise the Lord for what God is doing here in your midst, and and, uh, may it increase for the sake of the gospel. That's my hope and prayer for you. I'm gonna pray. And, uh, and then we're going to dive in. And, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand right now. Though In a minute I will. Um, but man, uh, I know how conferences go. Right? Last session. It, your mind's probably already halfway home. Right? You're probably doing the debate. Do I stick around or do I sneak out? Um, can I just invite you to expect God to say some things through his word in the next half hour? Hear this that are worth hearing, that might do something in your heart. Um, I want to take a nap just as bad as all of you. Not yet. Not yet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are here. We're not another place. Uh, We are needy. We are not self-sufficient. We want to grow. And right now, God, that's going to take some effort on our part, even just to engage your work. Father, I pray in these next moments that you would guard my words, that they would be true, utterly true to what you want me to say. And the rest, Lord, the stuff that's just me, I pray you would just sift it away. Father, give us ears to hear. All of us came to this from different places, Lord, but we want to we leave aimed at you, Jesus. So God, we pray to that end that you would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would be moving, uh, that we would leave Fuller than we were when we came in, uh, that the things we've heard all through this conference would uh, would uh, blossom in us, that they would take root, that they would sprout and grow. We pray these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin by uh, asking if you remember how we got here. Do you remember specifically how an uh, unprecedented March, one like a month I've never experienced in my life, how that turned into this uncertain November. So I'm going to take us uh, back through the last months. Uh, Don't hate me for doing it. There's a purpose in it. But let me just walk you through kind of how it felt to me at least. Do you remember the early days, the first weeks of March, where we were trying to figure out what in the world was going on? I remember I flew through Atlanta And I saw masks in the airport for the first time. You don't see a lot of masks in an American airport seven months ago. Now you see them, right? And I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting, but it didn't really make much of a mark. I preached at a church, one of our church revitalizations in the Twin Cities, um, named Elmwood Church on March 8th, if I remember my Sundays right. When you have a job like mine, as a pastor, you forget what Sundays are what. So forgive me, Rick, for not memorizing all the Sundays um, like I used to. Uh, preached that Sunday and then by Wednesday or Thursday I was writing letters to our 160 churches about how to cancel and what to do next and we we had never been in a situation like that and I remember consoling myself thinking I can do anything for a few days right this will be over but do you remember when the days turned to weeks do you remember that do you remember I remember in late March when all of a sudden the idea what a foreign idea that we would lock down did you guys do that here we did it in Minnesota. All of a sudden, we weren't allowed to leave our homes for anything but essential things. Do you remember when all of a sudden all of us tried to spend a lot of time looking up the dictionary definition of essential, right? And how broad could it possibly be, right? But I remember consoling myself. Even still, I knew that I knew for a couple weeks, man, I'm bulletproof. I can handle it. I can. I know how to hold my breath, right? But do you remember when the weeks turned into months? We had a conference planned. Uh, each year we gather our churches together. Um, had a wonderful conference planned. In fact, Eric was planning to come out and speak for us in April. And uh, it was supposed to be somewhere in April. I've, I can't even remember the date because so, I was so heartbroken when the moment came where we had to just cancel that thing. And I remember thinking, this April is strange Um, But I was talking to a friend of mine in our district, actually somebody who lived through the early days of Ebola, the Ebola virus. One of the leaders in in the EFCA in Minnesota was actually a medical missionary in the 70s. First uh, Western man to contract and survive Ebola. I thought a good person to call, right? So I called him, and I remember he and I had this conversation. I look back on it, it feels so silly. we, We thought, surely by summer this thing will be a distant memory. There's no way Americans are going to let this take over our culture. Boy, were we wrong. Well, as we moved into summer, you remember when the weeks, they turned into months, right? Right? And summer started to be kind of an unknown. Do you you remember that little flash where we opened and then closed? Right? Everything was great in early June and then it wasn't in late June, right? And we were just going on and on and on. And in Minnesota, I remember thinking, we had scheduled kind of a reschedule of our conference. It was a, one of those pesky little legal things. We couldn't spend money without getting people together and voting, right? We thought surely by August 31st, everything will be fine, right? Of course, by then, Minnesota has... You guys don't have this here, not in the same way. Uh, Disneyland in Minnesota is called the State Fair. Millions of people come to it <laughs> to watch, I got to tell you, horrific things. Horrific things like, the, like, like there's a room where you can just watch animals being born kind of nonstop. Um Right? It's painful. Painful. Shocking that I would miss such an event, but I did because they canceled it. And our state was in shock. In Minnesota, that event sets the school schedule. Schools don't start till that thing's done. Right? And we're like, how are you going to start schools if you don't have the state fair? Well, like, that was a big deal. Right? Right? Do you remember when September came? I thought, I remember saying to myself, surely the soccer moms will save us. <laughs> right? Can't they, can't they rise up in unison in their minivans and fix this thing? Nope. Didn't work like that. It didn't work like that. And then September came and I, I remember, I, I, this is a hard thing for me. I'm a planner. I'm a thinker. I'm a strategizer. I'm an action-oriented leader, a language I like to use about myself. Doesn't work very well anymore, right? It was making me crazy not being able to make plans and go for it. I've spent the last 25 years learning how to make plans and go for it. And September came, and all of a sudden, I barely knew what the ground underneath me looked like. And then, so, my coronavirus escape fantasy, that's what I'm talking about now, right? You figured it out. My coronavirus escape fantasy moved to beautiful November 3rd, right? Surely an election will solve this, right? Surely. And then I remember in October when I started not to believe the hype. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure we're going to find an easy way out of this. How are we going to retreat? I, you know, today, uh, we had a conference. We had that conference. Uh, it was fun. It's funny when half your expected attendance comes and you think, what an amazing conference, right? But we had that conference. And uh, when I was announcing the events for the coming year, all the things we want to do, I've never had to put Lord willing literally on the slides. But Lord willing. April conference, Lord willing. Retreats in the summer for pastoral health, Lord willing. Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. And I don't want to resent that. It's in God's word. I want to have a heart embrace, but come on, I'm feeling it. Right? I'm a little bone weary of having to qualify every plan I made. Right? And so that's where we are. Um, Okay, go home. No, I'm kidding. Feels like it a little bit, doesn't it? This morning, sorry, what time is it? This afternoon. We're going to look in Hebrews. Hebrews. And we're going to hear the answer to, I think, a pretty important question. It's going to be our key question today. Um, How should we move forward when our plans fall apart? How should we, men like you and me, move forward when our plans fall apart? Um, I know this is a good question because my wife, who hears a lot of my sermons, told me when I, I preached this at one of our churches just a few weeks ago, she goes, I'm really excited to hear this one. And, uh, and uh, not that she doesn't always, you know, hang on my every word and love to get to hear me preach, but, but I usually don't hear that. But isn't this the question that you're wrestling with right now? How do we move forward when our plans fall apart? And what I want to do today, like an answer to Hebrews 11, is I want to look at Hebrews 12, the first 11 verses, to try to answer this question. And here's what we're going to do, pretty simple. Um... I'm going to do just a little bit of background on Hebrews 12 to kind of get us reoriented to the passage. Um, Then we're going to read it together. And then we're going to see three things that I think this passage uh, challenges us or presents to us about how we can move forward when our plans uh, fall apart. So some background on Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Um, Very obvious but worth noting. This passage starts with the word therefore. It begins with a therefore, reminds us to look back at Hebrews 11 at that great cloud of witnesses, that's the foundation. Uh, These verses get quoted a lot. They've been memorized by many believers. They're powerful. But their context is this group of people that we saw, this surrounded group, right? That's the context for for the passage we're going to look at today. Specifically, um, Hebrews 11 shows us that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let me put them back up on the screen for you. Remember them? Remember these people that we're surrounded by? You remember Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Moses, the people of Jericho, at Jericho, Rahab, and then the others, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Samson, some unlikely names, men and women. Do you remember men and women of whom the world is just not worthy? Right? The words we're going to hear today speak to the issues they faced, and they speak to the issues we face. As we are trying by faith to live in a broken mess of a world. And uh, sometimes in places like Southern California, we try to tidy it up, right? Like maybe if we get all the death pushed to the side. um, Maybe if we get the roads nice and shiny, at least when you get into Orange County. Nice and shiny, right? Make sure that that line's crystal clear. Um, Maybe we can avoid it, but we, we can't. We need to figure out how to move forward in this mess third little piece of background I just want to put before you is just a reminder of what we heard. Um, when our plans fall apart, Hebrews 11, looking at that story reminds us we're not the first to face these tough, tough times. We're not alone. We're not alone. You'll have every temptation in the world, every temptation in the world, to step away from people you drew close to these last two days. Right? Won't you? Go back into your little huddle, your little cocoon. Um, boy, boy, if you made progress with people, if you got less alone during this time, don't waste it. And then obviously we're encouraged to live by faith. So that's the context of what we're looking at here today. Now having said that, I think um, getting the context in our mind, getting the people back in our mind, now it's a good time to hear these words. And so what I want to invite you to do um, is stand with me in just a second. But I'm asking you to stand with me, not just because I don't like to be the only one standing, um, You remember that these words, they're not like other words. They're they're not like other words. And you remember that this book, it's not like other books. This is God's word for us today. And, And I know for me, it helps me sometimes to stand and hear it. So, in reverence for God, for His wisdom, and for His restoring power, would you stand with me as we read these words? Find it in your Bibles, open up your app. Turn to Hebrews 12, hear these words, 11 verses, worth hearing. They say this, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Please be seated. How should we move forward when plans fall apart? I think there's three things in this passage I want to show you. The first is about looking. Hebrews 12 has a message for you and I about moving forward in the the midst of difficult times, and that message is related to looking. When our plans fall apart, we must fix our eyes upon Jesus. Look down at your Bibles with me. I want to show you how this passage makes this point about looking. First, look at Hebrews 12.2, which calls us straight up to look to Jesus as we run this race. Also notice how Jesus is described as the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's saying here on the one hand, it's not saying that he invented Christianity, which he did, right? More than that, he's say, it's saying that he's the initiator of your personal faith. He's the one who founded it in you. He's the one who caused it to birth up in you. He's the one who established it among people who believe. More than that, when it talks about Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith, it also means that he is the prime example. That's the reason we're supposed to be looking at him. Also, I want you to notice in verse 3, it says we're supposed to consider him. Another word for looking. Specifically, we're supposed to look at the hostility that he endured from sinners. And then 12.4, we are reminded that Jesus shed his blood for us. That's what we're supposed to be seeing when we look to him as we're running this race. All these things taken together. Call us to firmly fix our eyes on Jesus as we run this race, as we live this life of faith, especially in the midst of troubling and uncertain times like these. We're supposed to focus on him. We're supposed to put our hope in him. We're supposed to model our lives on him. Let me just ask a question. Where have we been looking for solutions these last six months? Like, I'm not going to pretend you haven't been looking to Jesus, just like I will say I have been looking to Jesus, but let's just admit some things. Our coronavirus escape fantasy has not always looked like Jesus. It has not always had our gaze firmly fixed on him. In these troubling days, we've been looking for answers everywhere and to many other people. This election has been about who can fix it. Shame on us. We know better. Don't we know better? If only so-and-so is elected. If only certain things happen. The civil unrest that my city is feeling, that the Twin Cities are going through, if only we could fix that, everything would be all right. Right? If only a certain group. You should be. When people say vote like your life depended on it, that is so riddled with lies. Right? There are things you should do as if your life depended on it. Voting. Can I just admit your life does not depend on it? It does not depend on it. And misplaced hope is like the hobby of Christians in America, right? And don't, don't you think? I mean, here, seven months in, shouldn't we stop already? Shouldn't we put our hope in the right place? So can I remind you, as we think about this message about looking, that there is only one place to look for hope? Let me remind you further, that place is a person. Flesh and blood. That person is named Jesus Christ. Lived a perfect life. Died a terrible, shaming death. Rose in power to prove to us he's worth gazing at. And as the author of Hebrews reminds us, not just backwards, not just a little life insurance, but forward as we run. We have got to get our eyes on the real prize. It's exhausting to look other places. It's exhausting to lie to yourself about false hope. It is destructive to pretend that there are answers to our current predicament that are not gospel answers. It's killing us, it's killing us. First message we see looking. As you think about how to move forward, like we could, you could just, you know, make some new plans and see if you can get them done, right? And in measure, we're going to do some of that. But can I plead with you brothers? Get your eyes on Jesus, firmly fixed on him. This passage has another message. Uh, It has a message about enduring. How do we move forward when our plans fall apart? This passage has a message about enduring. Focusing on Jesus empowers us to stay in the game, to remember our true identity, and to grow, in, to grow in faith during hard times like these. Look down at your Bibles. I want to show you how this passage talks about enduring. Notice again in 12.1 that it talks about being surrounded by a great cloud of people who call us to live by faith. Hebrews 11 is the illustration of enduring. It's the illustration for the teaching that comes after it, of enduring. Look at verse 12-2. It says we're called to run with endurance. In 12-2, we're also reminded Jesus had an example of endurance, the cross itself. In 12-3, we're told that the cross and all that went along with it was hostility from sinners, stuff to be endured. In 12-4, we're reminded, hear this, Hear this, it's an antidote to my pity party. We have not endured as much as Jesus has. One of the great truths of the Christian life and something I say to myself and the people I love when I find myself whining or the people I love who are whining toward me, I say, you don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to die on a cross. Right? Isn't there great joy in the rescue? Doesn't it help you endure? That's one of the ways this passage makes a point about enduring. But the biggest way is the part none of us read very often. Everybody loves Hebrews 1 and 2, 12, 1 and 2. Most people don't love or read often 5 through 11. We have all this strange teaching about discipline. All this strange teaching about discipline. We're told that the difficulties of this life, the suffering we face, the hard reality of living, By faith in a fallen, broken, yet-to-be-restored world, it can have a purpose. One of the things I hope to awaken us to, Eric talked about it. Jason talked about it, right? What we're going through right now, it's no accident. It's, it's It's hard to connect the dots, but it has a purpose. If Hebrews 11 can have a purpose, if Moses' life can have meaning, if Abel's, what a raw deal. If Abel's deal can work, if, if Abraham can make such a difference when he was so old he was almost as good as dead, right? Can't the things we're going through right now have meaning and purpose? That's what Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says. Hear it again with me. Hear it again with me. I'm going to read it again. It'll be the second time this year you hear it, and you can ignore it for the rest of the year again. Not that you will. It's hard teaching. It's hard teaching. Five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Verse seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as Sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If we are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us. For our good. That we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful. Amen. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This hard life in broken world can serve as discipline. I think that's what this passage is saying. This hard, it's looking back to Hebrews 11. Those things, this hard life, can serve as discipline from a loving father. It confirms the things we're going through, the things you face. They confirm, rather than challenge, they confirm that God sees you as his children. And that he loves you enough to help you grow in Christian endurance, even through difficulty. Past, this passage says these things are, for, are good. And they produce righteousness in us. Are you willing to consider the, the idea, just consider it, that these last seven months, or whatever the number is, it's so hard to keep track, these last months are for your good. Is it possible? Is it possible? Are you willing to consider the idea that these last months are going to produce, hear it, righteousness? Righteousness righteousness in us, among us, in your life. It is so tempting to try to fix things right now. How many of you have stared at the ceiling long into the night or early in the morning and thought, what's the answer? What's the answer? How do I fix this? How do I get through it? How do I make the best of it? How do I find the margin in it? Profit from it, dot, dot, dot. Right? It's exhausting. There's a place for that. But I think the essential thing we need to see right now is how, seriously, is this for our good? Can we grow from it? Will it produce righteousness in us? Will it help us not grow weary? Will it help us not be faint-hearted? Will it help us hang in there? You know, as a father, I, I faced the ever-present terror of my kids going through hard times. Can I tell you, when I, I moved A uh, going to be a senior and going to be a junior... We lived nine blocks from the sea in Pismo, Grover Beach. And I moved them like 10,000 blocks from the sea in Minnesota, though we have plenty of shoreline, I discovered, so not a huge crisis, right? Um, I was so worried for the hardship it would cause them. And I would pray. I found myself praying these silly prayers, like, God, protect my kids from difficulty, and I, I would pray them as a Christian leader who knows difficulty is the thing that matures people. It is the magic sauce that creates men of God. And so has anybody else felt this, the tension, right? God, guard my kids. God, grow my kids. God, guard my life. God, grow me in Christ. Which is it? Which do I want? Right? As an American, these are confusing questions. Because I have lulled, been lulled to sleep by soft toilet paper. Right? Right? Not too rough, not too hard. I like cold water. I love ice. I do. I love it. Right? I deeply want to grow so long as it's not too inconvenient. Just enough, right? God, I I, I think, brothers, that this time is designed for our great, glorious growth in Jesus Christ. That he might be glorified because his people love him all the more in the midst of the difficulty. In the midst of the difficulty. That we learn what it is to hang in there when things don't bounce our way. When things are not easy. When things are heartbreaking. That's what I think is going on. We are learning endurance. Endurance. An illustration about endurance, it used to drive me nuts. I, uh, I lived in the Central Coast. At Grace, I was part of Grace Bible Church, a sister church of this congregation in Arroyo Grande, California, on staff there for many years and then uh, not on staff. I had the beautiful experience of being a pastor at a church and then being an LA elder at the church. Man, was that a, an enlightening experience for me. I, I had a whole lot of apologies I had to do to my um, people who showed up for free friends um, after I'd been on the take for so many years, and all of a sudden I was at elder meetings at no compensation, Right. Well, one of the things I loved about this church that was hard, too, is, is people in this church love to ride bikes. And, in fact, there was a guy named Dave Stout in this church. Dave actually was a PE teacher in your Belinda. It occurs to me. Some of you might know Dave. wouldn't shock me. Strong believer. And he would do these bike rides. And uh, so I got, a, I got a road bike, and I started riding along with them. And I don't have the classic physique for a road bike rider. You know, I'm not, I'm not built just so. You know, I was, I was a better defensive end than I was a a cyclist, the, 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 um, the physics aren't quite right for me, right? But I would go out and ride. And I remember I used to hate, in particular, the hills. And if you know anything about Arroyo Grande, it's a lot of hills, right? I mean, in one sense, I moved to the perfect place if you want to like bike riding, because it is just, it is pristine and flat forever in Minnesota. You can just ride and ride and ride. But nonetheless, I would go on these rides, and Dave used to tell me, he said, Brian, you know what part of your problem with the hills is? Is, is you always want to crush through them. You want to you get them done with. You think they're different than, than, the, than the flat areas. And he would say, if you would learn to think about those hills differently, if you would just keep pedaling, if you would just learn how to keep pedaling, he said those gears on your bike, they have a purpose, right? You're supposed to make it a little easier. He said, but if you could just learn to downshift and keep pedaling and learn how to pedal at a steady pace, you might not hate those hills so much. I remember we would go riding and he would get up next to me and he would just say, just keep pedaling. Just keep pedaling. Guard your heart. Don't Don't hate the hills. Learn how to smooth them out. Learn, Dave was inviting me to learn endurance. To learn endurance. Now the Christian life is not so different. It is easy and tempting to hate the hills in the Christian life and to love the flat spots, to love the downhill cruise, to love the easy seasons. Can I just say what is obvious? We're not going to have only easy seasons. We're not going to have only downhills. We're not going to have nice, flat, even spaces. This Christian life, if Jesus is to be taken at his word, if the New Testament scriptures are true, is going to be filled with ups and downs. This is not the last time we're going to go through difficult season. And uh, I know there have been times during this coronavirus where I've tried to like I've tried to crush through it, like if if only I can figure it out, if only I can find the way to make it not so bad, if only I can, if only I can, if only I can, I think I'm opening myself up to a new idea that God wants me in this season to learn endurance for the sake of my growth so that I would discover I am his son afresh. It would be confirmed in me and that though unpleasant at the time, I would cherish it because it just might produce in me righteousness. It just might. There's a message here for us to focus on enduring, to learn how to stay in the game, to not give up, to grow, to grow, brothers. And then finally, there's a third thing I want to point out. As we look at this passage, it's obvious we're supposed to be looking at Jesus. As we read the whole chunk all the way to verse 11, we see a message about endurance about how we grow through the discipline of the Lord, the things the Lord allows in our lives. But there's another thing. Um, I I think there's a message about running here. Moving forward, we need to remember the real nature of our race, cast aside all the stuff that weighs us down, and run toward Jesus. If you look at the very first verse, you'll find what is the central thrust of this passage. Hebrews 12 says we should run with endurance, the race that is set before us. This is the big exhortation in this passage, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. At a time like this, it is easy to think the race that is set before us is the end of the coronavirus, right? right? My coronavirus escape fantasy goes something like this. It'll all get wiped away, things will get back to normal, and life will be easy again, right? None of, none of those things are happening, right? You know what else is wrong with that fantasy? The race that is set before me is not the next three months. It's not the next six months. It's not the next 12 months. It's not the next 24 months. The race here is the whole Christian life. The whole Christian life. Do you know when the the hills turn downward and life's supposed to smooth out? In a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Right? Do you know when things are supposed to get markedly different and better? Does, has anybody prayed for the return of Jesus in these days? Maranatha, your kingdom come. Until then, we are in the middle of this race. We are in the middle of this race. We need to remember that our escape fantasy is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's got the wrong time frame. And it's got the wrong villain. It really does. During this season, we need to remember our race is our whole life and that our true normal is the new heaven and new earth. And there's one more thing. I'm inviting you to run hard, to go for it. But the direction here is pretty important. Here's Here's a simple question. When you run, what direction are you going? You know what the answer is? wherever you're looking, wherever you're looking, wherever you're looking. Have you ever tried to run in a direction other than that, which you're looking? I have. I remember I was in high school. I was playing football, Paradise Valley High School, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, There was, I was playing defensive end on the weak side, and they ran a sweep to the other side. And I caught it quick enough to start backpedaling instead of chasing around because I knew there was no chance. There was a reason I was defensive end and a reason that guy was the running back, right? They had to do with speed. Um, But it was a big field and and I knew if I took the right angle, I might be able to catch that guy. Right? So I started backpedaling. At this point, I was okay because I was not running in a direction other than the one I was looking. But he was streaking around the side. I was going back and I took a a pursuit angle that I thought was pretty good. I was running toward our imagined collision, and there was a collision, but it wasn't that imagined one. I was running this way, but I was looking at the runner, and uh, an opposing player discovered my error, right? And I was running as fast as I knew how, like this, and he saw that, and he just pulverized me, right? And the next moment, I I was not running anywhere, right? I was on my back looking up, Wondering, you know how football is a game of, of revenge, among other things? And I had no clue what his number was because I'd forgotten to look. So I spent half the game trying to figure out who the person was who destroyed me, right? <laughs> to no avail. To no avail. I learned an important lesson that day. If you're going to sprint, you better look in that direction. You better look in that direction. This passage says we're supposed to run our race with endurance. And then what does it say? Looking to Jesus looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. The goal of your life, the target that you ought to be aiming at, you and I, Um, the destination that every Christian ought to be journeying toward, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. So in these days, um, no mistake, we have to focus our eyes on him. No mistake, we have to learn endurance. But it is important that we start running again. But don't make the mistake of of running after the old stuff. Right? Don't just get back on the old horse. Don't just get going in the old direction. Moments like this are pivotal because they allow us to recalibrate. And the north on our compass needs to be toward Jesus Christ. If you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you're a man who has realized you're a broken sinner in need of a savior, and you've admitted it. If you believe the gospel is true, then the direction you ought to head is in the direction of that gospel. And I just want to invite us now, here at the close, all the think of thing, all the things we've heard. We're going to pray in just a second, but can I give you one piece of conference advice here at the end? Um, As as Eric alluded to, I get this privilege too. I go to a lot of conferences. It's a blessing and a curse. But it's also taught me something about experiences like this. Um, It's a a fire hose of information. Anybody feel like that? And there's about 100 ideas flying around in your mind, right? So let me just encourage you to do what I always do at the end of a time like this. Uh, Right after I get done, maybe on the way home, maybe in the final session, maybe while we're praying, I try to ask myself, what are one or two things I heard that I have to live out, that I have to take with me? You can't remember all the stuff we've shared. I know that because I spent hours and hours preparing this stuff, and I can't remember even the stuff I shared, right? Right? I'm, I will literally, when I leave today, try to decide what are one or two things that, that from this time together that are really important from what Eric said or Jason said or maybe it's something I said to myself can I just invite you as we're praying find a couple things latch on to them and just let the rest go for now Um, believing it's more than agreeing right Um, find some things for your hands to do with the truth that you've heard bow your heads with me let's pray Father in heaven we are grateful God to you You created this world. You made each man here. All the days of our lives, Lord, are in your hands. This strange season, Lord, no surprise to you. Your power and providence, they comfort us. So far beyond us. We are grateful, God, for Jesus. That he came into this world perfect, holy, powerful, righteous, and lived a life we could never live. We're grateful for the cross and the resurrection. We are grateful for the spirit at work in our lives. And how you, Father, Son, and Spirit, are working all things together for good. We're grateful. And so, God, I pray that each man here would know what he's supposed to know. That he would remember what he's supposed to remember. That he would hear what he was supposed to hear. And God, that you would enable him heart, mind, and soul, hands and feet to do those things, to believe those things, to live them out in grace because of the cross. We pray this and we ask because we're not insane. We ask your kingdom come, Jesus, return, we pray. We pray in your name, amen.